One thing, if y'all haven't learned by now from Jared, and I'm not much different, we're not going to rush the Holy Ghost. We're not going to rush the Lord. We're here to do what He wants to do, and we're just vessels. <clears throat> okay, last night a revival. It has been great. Has anyone got a blessing from revival? I have, yes. Okay, well, I want to talk to y'all tonight about, this is a first time for me to actually do this. But I want to talk to y'all now about a kind of tough subject. Um, I've got a slide that has a scripture. No, you don't have any of it? Okay, well, that's fine. I'll read it. It's no, it's no big deal. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to come to y'all. I told Jared, I was like, I really have a lot of problems when I try to get something together like this because I dig so deep, and then I'm like, it's everywhere. I was like, I was from Genesis to Revelation. I was like, how am I going to condense this? <laughs> so, but anyway, so I found a base scripture, which could be very many, but I'm going to start out in 2 Corinthians 11. It's verses 2 and 3, and it's kind of paraphrased, but it's the scripture that Paul says. It says, For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I'm going to ask y'all a tough question. Um, based on that, and he sang a song a minute ago about betrothed. I thought that was, you know, interesting. But a tough question, are you having an affair? If you're having, a, if you're having an affair, then we will deal with that in a minute. Um, a real, real affair. Um, <laughs> but as I was talking to Jared, Jared, the Lord's been doing with me about this. I was going to do it in my Sunday school class, but then Jared was like, well, do you want to do a night revival? I was like, um, no, I don't. <laughs> but I decided to go ahead after I prayed about it. I was like, I really feel like this is for more. Um, I hope I don't flub it up, but we're going to just keep going through, so y'all just bear with me. First, we're going to talk about how affairs start. Um, I've never had one. But I can just guess. Um, <laughs> I found this scripture in Ezekiel. It's 6 and 9. And it's, the, Ezekiel was a prophet, and God gave him all these prophecies, and he told him to go tell all the people. It was kind of one of those, nobody wanted to hear what he had to say because it wasn't great stuff. But God told him, he said, I was crushed by their adulterous hearts, which had departed from me, and by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed in all their abominations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So this kind of here, it tells us about affairs and how they start, because it says an adulterous heart. First, it, before it's ever an outward action, it's going to start in the heart. It's going to start with something little. Secondly, your eyes. Your eyes can deceive you, and when you see things, you're going to start lusting after those things, and the more you stare at them, just like David when he stared at the Sheba, the more you stare, the more you're going to want. So along the way, somewhere, they decided that an affair with all these other gods was more important than their relationship with God. Um, has anybody ever heard the story of Hosea and Gomer? Gomer, that's a fun name. Okay, well, in Hosea, y'all can read the whole um, chapter on your own time, but I'm going to sum it up. This was a prophet of God, and he was told by God to marry a prostitute or an adulterous woman. Um, that would be like a preacher that you know, a great preacher going to marry a prostitute while she was still in prostitution. So he wound up having three children, but none of them were his. They were all from her adulterous ways. 
Um, she got herself in a bind because she ran away from, from Hosea, who was treating her well. He was a good husband. He was a good father to his illegitimate children. But she ran away and went to another man. Well, she got herself in a bind, and he had to go, and God said, go buy her back. Go pay for her. Get her back. So he went and paid for her, brought her back. This kept on and on, and she was never truly faithful to him. And this was what God made Hosea do to try to get the point across of what we do, of what Israel was doing, and we still do today. So my question is, is God having to constantly get you back? Are you constantly running away from God and going to the things of the world? Is he constantly having to say, come back, come back, come back? So, are you having an affair? <laughs> we are the church. We're supposed to be the bride of Christ. The church is supposed to be the bride of Christ. When I think about what the church has become, it's kind of disgusting because the church of today, we're supposed to be Christ's bride. We were created for him. Something beautiful in his eyes we, I love that song that Devin sang. I requested him to sing that because it says, you know, I'm losing my religion to be loved like a child. We've created something that is detestable to God. It's not even attractive. Something that was created for him. We have allowed the enemy to come in and we have allowed to hit him to make it something ugly. But we've been willing participants in it. It's not like he just came and did it and we weren't okay with doing it. You think like, okay, well, what do we do? Well, we don't have little idols that we worship, at least I don't think anybody does, little tokens and that we bow down to, but there's other things. We're giving our lives away. We're chasing after wealth, a good job, big houses, big cars, expensive things. We want to look the best. We want to have the best clothes. Women, we want to be sexy. Men, you want sexy women. It's just constantly, we're constantly striving for something, and God's saying, stop, stop. You're mine. If, you, if, if I've redeemed you, you're mine. You don't have to go for all that because I, you can be satisfied in me. So I was asking God, because like I said, I was everywhere, all over the whole Bible. <laughs> I said, God, what do you want me to say to these people? What do you want me to say? He gave me three sentences. I told them, I was like, that's all I'm going to say and I'm going to be done. But I, I've got a little more to say. <laughs> but he said, quit being unfaithful to me. Stop it. Quit chasing after everything that the world puts in front of your face and chase after me. Quit putting all the stuff that you put ahead of me, ahead of me. Stop it. It's that, it's that simple, like Skylar said. It's, it's so simple, but it's so hard because we're constantly being shoved all this stuff everywhere. It's always in our face. I'm going to talk to you all for just a second about Ezekiel. Um, like I said, the whole book of Ezekiel is really, really, really great. So y'all read it. It's good. But Ezekiel 8, this is where God picks Ezekiel up by the head of the hair, not physically but spiritually, and he takes him, and he shows him different things that's going on in Israel in the church. Um, the first image he takes him to see is the north gate. This is very important because this is the gate of the tabernacle that the king would go in to worship the Lord. So... When he comes and he brings them there, he says, look at these, these things that my people are doing. And the first thing he saw was an image of jealousy. Basically what that is is a statue standing right in front of the north gate. And the king had to pass it to go into the sanctuary to worship. So I was like, okay, well, how is that really significant to us today? I was like, well, 
when we come in this church, I'm, you know, we could say our phones, we could say anything. We come into the church, we've got so many things weighing on our mind that the world just throws in front of us. We go in, we think about it. We come in, we worship for a minute. We go out, there it is again. It's right in front of our face. It's all we want to chase after. We can't even focus on Christ because we're too busy focused on all the things that are sitting right outside the church. We can't get our minds in here to do what we're supposed to do. So, secondly, he says, all right, take you somewhere else. He takes him to the door of the court. In this place, he looked through a little hole, and there was this room. And in this room was painted all kind of creatures, all kind of detestable things, all kind of idols from all over Israel. And the elders of the church were in there, and they were paying tribute to these things. And I was like, the more I thought about that, I was like, these are the people, the men of Israel, who are supposed to be the elders of the church, supposed to be the leaders of the church. They claimed to know God, but yet they were paying tribute to these things. Um, they wanted the benefits of God, but they weren't willing to let him be their only God. They wanted a, a backup plan, if you can say. They're like, okay, and how, how, how much is that like us today? We're like, okay, God, we're going to trust you, but I'm not going to trust you this far because I need to make sure I'm taken care of. You know, that's the way they were. They were like, okay, well, we want these other things on standby in case God doesn't work out, and we'll have these things. Um, we do that all the time. Uh, they wanted to keep up with the world. I thought about that, too. I was like, they had all these idols in there because when God brought Israel, they were nothing. They were a small little tribe of people, the lowest of the low. Nobody wanted them. Nobody could help them. They couldn't help themselves. And they got up to this status because God had brought them here. They had, she had won battles for them. They had got a reputation. And then all of a sudden, they got there, and they're like, oh, look at what that country over there is doing. Hmm, well, maybe we, should, maybe we should have a bell. I mean, you know, it's okay. We still have God. He's our main God. But let's have a bell. Okay, well, what about this other one, this Ashabeth? this goddess of sex. Let's go ahead and have her because, you know, it's a backup plan if God doesn't work. How much, we do the same thing. We say, okay, well, I want this job over here because I want a little extra just in case God doesn't fully provide everything I want. So I'm going to do this and I'm going to work myself to death. Um, what about, look at all these, these kids are playing ball. My kid, it's not going to hurt me to just to go to play one Sunday, just one Sunday tournament just one. Before you know it, you're at the ball field all the time. Um, and that ain't just that. I, mean, there's, I could go through a list. Use your imagination. We do. We pour ourselves into other things. Then he took Ezekiel to the north gate. Here there were women, and they were weeping for this god named Tamaz. It said they were crying over him on the altar of Christ, or on the altar of God. Okay, First of all, there's lots of problems in that. You've got these women that are mourning for this fake God that Samaria created to try to take the place of Christ. They said, this is the Messiah. That, that's who Tamaz is. He's this made-up God by the Romans who they made him up to try to abolish the Jewish religion. And they're crying for him on the altar of God. We sit here and we come to church and we cry out to God, but we let everything else be our Savior. And God's sick of it. <laughs> okay, next he took him to the inner courts of the Lord's house. If you know anything about the tabernacle, if you don't, I'll give you a quick lesson. You've got the porch, and this is as far as, like, the Jews could go and Israel could go. And then inside that, you have the inner courts. This is where um, 
the bread, the table, the showbread was, the golden candlesticks, and one more thing. What was that? Uh, what? Yeah. We'll go. Yeah. Yeah. Seats. Yeah. No one the seats. Yes. Yes. Okay. So anyway, there were three things in there, and this was the only place that the priest could go. No one else could go there. And whenever God showed Ezekiel what was happening in this room where only the leaders were allowed to go, the leaders had their backs to the altar of God, and they were bowed down worshiping the sun. There's lots of problems with that. First of all, you turned your back on God to worship something that God created. You've turned your back on the creator to worship creation. Um, we turn our backs on God to worship all these things that he's created to be good. The sun's good, you know, we need it, but that's not who we need to worship. And all they were doing, they were blocking others from getting into the house of the Lord. They couldn't get there because they're in the way. Christians, we're in the way. Sometimes we're in the way because people are looking to us and they're like, I can't even get to God because I'm looking at you and you're worshiping everything else just like we are. They were looking at the sun. Just like when I looked over there, y'all probably looked to see what I was looking at. Wherever they were looking, that's where other people are going to look. Where your focus is, where your gaze is, it's going to automatically make people turn and look and see what you're doing. Then their eyes are off Christ. So we as Christians are failing. The church is failing. Our eyes have not been on Christ. Our eyes have been on the things of the world, just like the people of the world. We have nothing that we're doing different. So we've got to change that. After all this, after he showed him all these horrible things, um, he said, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far from my sanctuary. As I read that, I was like, to make me go far from my sanctuary. They were doing such things that God was like, just like I talked about a minute ago about the bride of Christ. He didn't want a part of it. What he made for him to be for him, he wanted no part in it. And they were sitting there, people sitting there, we worship, the, we come in here and worship God, worship God, and we've been doing great, by the way, I love, love the worship, but we come in here for so long, we've been coming to church, and we've just been coming to church. That's it, like Skylar said, we come, we leave, we come, we leave, we come, we leave, that's all we do, and God says, that's not it. That's not it, sis, you need to change it. Um, so, <laughs> he sent Christ, Christ died for us, Everybody, I'm assuming, in here knows that. So he's paid the price for you. You, when he did that, you became the sanctuary. And no longer that you don't have to go to the temple. You are the sanctuary. So my question is to you, what are you doing in your life that causes God to go far from you? Is there anything in your life right now going on that the Lord says, I can't be a part of that? Are you more concerned with the temporary pleasures of a short affair with the world than you are of having a long relationship with God? Something that he can take care of you forever. It's kind of tough. Well, the good thing is he loved us so much, just like the story I told earlier about Hosea and Gomer. He loved us so much that despite us constantly cheating on him, us constantly just turning around and turning our backs on him, he still loves us. 
And he told the people, he said, the, the Lord chose Israel. Oh, I didn't, he didn't say that. I'm sorry, I wrote that. <laughs> the Lord chose the people of Israel, and he chose us. Not because we were good, not because we deserved it. It's because we couldn't help ourselves. And he says, I love these people. But somewhere along the way, we've decided that what the world offers is better than what we have with Christ. When did he become not enough? Has he ever been enough for you? Jesus, when you, when you accept Jesus into your life, he's not, it's not just something you add to your lives. When you accept Jesus, he becomes your life. Everything you do should be about Jesus. Every decision you make should be about Jesus. Everything you do with your time should be about Jesus. With your money, Jesus. Your family, Jesus. It's just the way it is. Um, it says, you know, you'll lose your life for my, you know, but whoever loses his life will save his life. That's what he's talking about. You've got to give yourself up. It becomes about him from that moment on. Keeping on going in Ezekiel, this is the easy read version because I like it sometimes. Um, the word of the Lord said to me, Ezekiel, son of man, these men came to talk to you, but they still have filthy idols. They keep the things that made them sin. They still worship those statues. So why do they come to me for advice? Should I answer their questions? Well, if you still have all that crap in your life, that's what God's saying. That's what he's saying here. He's like, they ain't getting rid of it. They're still, they're still serving all that other stuff, but then they want to come in here and they want to say, hey, Lord, help me. Lord, how do I do this? He's like, do you really want me to answer you? That's what he's asking here. He says, but I will give them an answer. This is what you're going to tell them. You're going to say, the Lord God says, if any Israelites come to a prophet and ask me for advice, I myself will answer their questions. I, the Lord, will answer them, even if they still have their filthy idols, even if they keep the things that made them sin, and even if they still worship those statues. I will speak to them in spite of all their filthy idols because, this, because I want to touch their hearts, and I want to show them that I love them, even though they left me for those filthy idols. Tell y'all a little um, little story. It's hopefully y'all won't think badly of me. It was a dream, so I'm, you know I can't control those. Um, how many women in here do I have that that have had dreams that your husband cheats on you? Can y'all raise your hand? <laughs> do you want to like murder them when you wake up? <laughs> Mine were the worst when I was pregnant. Um, I would literally wake up in a sweat, and I would just look at him like. I want to punch you in the face right now. <laughs> but, um, okay, so the other night, um, I think it was Sunday night, I was just praying, and I'm a visual learner. I like to be able to see. I have to see, and I have to touch. That's how I really, really, really learn. Um, but I like to pray, and I'm like, Lord, I want to get a visual, you know. I want to get a visual. In that moment, I was like, Lord, I want to get a visual of, of your love, you know. Because I always pray all the time. I'm like, Lord... I want to know what it is to love like you. I want to, I want to hurt for the things you hurt for. Lord, I need a visual. And well, I didn't really get one there, you know, so, but I was like, that's okay. Well, that night I had a dream. And I hate dreams like that because then I wake up and I can't go back to sleep and I'm just mad and I'm frustrated. But I had a dream that he cheated on me. And in this dream, we were at, like, it was some of his high school people or something, and we were at a get-together, and... He was at the table with all the other guys, and there was this girl that had this major crush on him whenever they were in high school, and she was just really throwing herself on him, 
And I was, the only reason I stayed at the guy table instead of the girls, because I was like, I got to keep my eyes on this one right here. Um, so <laughs> I was sitting there, and she was like, it was really irritating me. And what was what irritated me more is he was sitting there, it was kind of like he was eating it up a little bit, you know? And I was like, that's disrespectful to me, first of all, and I want to slap you. And so I was looking at him like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get you when we get home. You're going to get it for this. Well, she put her legs up on the table, and where he was sitting, he could see directly, you know, everything. And I was like, I got up, and I was like, she said something, and I was like, no, you need to get your hoo-ha out of my husband's face is what you need to do. <laughs> and then he said, he didn't do anything, and I got up and went out, and I went to the other women, and they were like, oh, yeah, she's a hussy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, it, I'll just tell you, I don't know what to do. And so I was like, if he don't come in here and follow me, it's fixing to be bad news. Sure enough, he come in there, and he was talking to me, and he was frustrated at me for saying that to her. And I was like, I don't, what? Excuse me? Like, you should have said something to her. I shouldn't have had to said something to her. Anyway, so then um, he, this part gets a little, you know, whatever. But he was like, he'd become, you know, um, whatever. And so I was like, no, I'm not doing anything with you because right now you're thinking about her. And I'm not doing that. And he was like, well, do you know if you don't do that, do you know what you're, what you could cause me to do? And I was like, buddy, uh, better be nothing. Um, <laughs> and he was like, but it just, I said, you know, no, I'm not doing this. I was like, if you do that, you never loved me at all. Never. You never loved me. If that one little thing, you never loved me. Anyway, and I walked away, and I was just thinking, the more I sat there and thought about it, like in my dream, I was like, you know, I'm a good wife. I'm good. I'm loyal. I'm faithful. I'm a great mom. I handle the bills. I do all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, I woke up. <laughs> and I was like, Whoosh. But anyway, I told Jared about it that morning. I couldn't go back to sleep. I prayed, and it's like the Lord told me. He's like, that's how I feel. And I just broke down in tears. And I was like, he was like, it, it breaks my heart. He said, because my church and my people do that to me all the time. He said, they don't, I, you know, there's no way I'm thinking you can love me, but still, he loves us. And, you know, that really, really got me. And I was like, Lord, please don't give me a visual like that anymore. <laughs> but it just, it really is. It's like something that he loves more than anything in the world constantly betrays him for everything else. The, the first time something comes and tempts us a little bit to get our eyes off of him and to go to pursue that, we do it. We fall into that trap all the time. And when we get ready to come back, God's got his arms open and he's ready and he's waiting. Um, if you read about Hezekiel, Hezekiah, Hezekiah, my gosh, I'm sorry, Hezekiah, um, when he took over his kingship at 25, this kind of is not with Ezekiel, but he came into a place where they had been in idolatry and adultery for so long, they had so much stuff going on. So I was kind of like, okay, Lord, how do we restore this relationship with you when we've got here? And sometimes we may not even know what we're doing. And he took me here. And first thing 
that Hezekiah did. It said, Hezekiah trusted the Lord. It says he clung to him, and he did not cease to follow him. He kept his commands that the Lord had given. So I love where it says he clung to him, and he didn't cease to follow him. No matter what was going on, he's a young king, and they had all these idols, and they had been doing all this stuff. And when he came on the scene, he's like, we're going to stop that. And so first, you've got to stop it. It says, he began removing the false gods and all the false forms of worship. First, you have to recognize what has become an idol in your life. I can tell you how one quick way you can find out. Look at your checkbook. Look at your calendar. Where's your time and money going? That's probably your idol. You could probably pick it up right there. Um, your phone. Look at your secret stuff. Where, where's your stuff? Where, where are you putting your stuff? Second, it says he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. You've got to open up your heart to the Lord, and you've got to be able to hear the truth he's going to speak to you. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty, but you've got to be willing to listen to him. Then you have to repent. You have to ask forgiveness and turn away from that sin. You cannot keep going back to it. That's not what repentance is. Then it says they cleanse the house of the Lord. You're the house of the Lord. You've got to be cleansed. Um, they took out everything that was unclean, and the more I read into this, it took them 16 days of tons of people getting junk out of the altar. It's not an easy process. It may not happen overnight. It, it's a process. You've got to work at it daily. You've got to keep getting stuff out of there, and sometimes you're going to find something else underlying under that. What, what have you been doing? Well, why have you been doing that? Why have you been pouring your time in this? And you get to deeper issues and deeper issues, and God will help you through that, but you've got to keep on cleaning it all out. Next, it says he did restored offerings and worship back into the house of the Lord. Sacrifices, offerings, singing, worship, he restored all that. It's going to require some sacrifices. You're going to maybe even have to quit being around some people who you like being around. It, it's hard. It's not easy. Um, you're going to have to give up some things, some things that you really enjoy. To follow God fully, you're going to have to give up some things. You're going to have to die to self daily. Um, then it says, Hezekiah asked Israel to return to the Lord. And I like this part because it says he sent people out with letters, and he said, ask them, beg them to come back to the house of the Lord. Some did, some didn't. And I thought about us as we've been talking about compel them and going and You've got to be willing, when you get to this point, to go out and encourage others to come to the house of the Lord. Um, I thought about Nineveh. Do you know what the only thing that stopped their repentance and revival at Nineveh was? It was Jonah's reluctance to go. So if Jonah would have never went, they would have never known the Lord. So we've got to be willing to go and to bring people back to the house of the Lord. Mark 8, 34 and 38 says, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take his cross and follow me. We learned about that the other day, following me. For whoever desires to save his own life will lose it, and whoever loses it for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in glory with his Father and his angels. So what does it mean to lose your own life? It means that you've got to be completely devoted to God. 
Um, I think about, sometimes, y'all, I go kind of crazy when I think about what grilled devotion for God means. And I'm like, holy, if I do that, Lord, people are going to think I have lost my mind. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> they probably are. <laughs> you know, we were meant to be set apart. We're meant to be different. We're, if people can't tell that we're Christians and that we're followers of Christ, are we even really a follower of Christ? If we're not willing to give it all, God doesn't want part. He wants the whole thing. And he wants whatever he calls on you, he needs you to move. We are his tools to reach the world. It's us. It's the church. So it means being completely devoted to him. Your life now belongs to him. Contrary to what we all think, it doesn't belong to our children. <laughs> it doesn't belong to our husbands. It doesn't belong to our employers. It belongs to God. Yes, we've got to have jobs. Yes, we've got to take care of our children. Yes, we've got to, you know, be great with our husbands. But they're not the priority. It's Jesus. God is the priority. Um, sometimes we can, that is one of the biggest things I feel like that the, that the devil has on families is the push to get your kids and involved in everything. You want them to be on the top. So you, before you know it, your life is busy and full and all this stuff because you're trying to put your kids in everything so they won't be left out. Um, I think about Caleb and baseball. Um, he's always liked baseball and soccer. Well, we weren't one of those. We're not going to go to the ball field every weekend. We ain't doing it. <laughs> I'm not, and we're not giving up our summers either. But um, I'm going to tell you, though, if you weren't playing by the time you were three every weekend, every day at the ball field, you were behind. And I was like, well, he's going to have to be behind because we're not doing it. Um, but we do. And it's, and it's an easy thing to do for the sake of our children because we want them to have more than what we had. We want our kids to have better than what we had. It, it, and with every generation, if we keep doing that, at what point is it going to peak? You know, in showing them that all this other stuff is important, we've sacrificed them. It's no different than back then when they sacrificed to, almost to Molech. I'm not, I mean, we're not killing our children, but it's, we're telling them that God's not as important as all this other stuff. We're telling them that this is more important, and it's not true. We, we've got to get that mentality out of our minds. It means everything's got to come in secondary to Christ, and it means you have to follow Christ with your whole heart, not caring how foolish people think you are. If people don't think you're crazy, like I said, I mean, and, and we don't, you, you, that word radical has gotten such a bad rap for so long, but look at the disciples. Were they not radical? They wanted to kill them. Everybody wanted to kill them. They did kill, they killed Jesus. They killed most of them. It's because they were radical. And I believe that's what God is calling for us to do, to be wholeheartedly devoted to him. He says, I need you to be my beautiful bride again. I need you to be the church that I created you to be. I don't need you to be what you think the church should be with your two songs and your sermon and half, I ain't even there. I need you to be what I need you to be. So we've got to start listening. We've got to be able to bend to what God wants us to do. Just like Pastor said, no more excuses. We need to quit giving them. I mean, not even just for coming to church. Church, not gonna, it's not going to get you to heaven. Coming to this building is not going to get you to heaven. It's what you do outside this building that really matters. Um, quit making excuses with your job, your work. I mean, your kids, your this, your that. Your I mean, they're not good enough for God. God's not, he, it's not worth any excuse that you can give to him. It's time to follow Jesus, like Skylar said. Follow him. 
where, where he tells you to go, go, follow him. So, in saying all that, are you having an affair? Is there something in your life that you've been putting ahead of wholeheartedly following Christ? Anything. Oh, somebody can come to music, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I had to examine my heart a lot, and through this fast, I, you know, was praying, I said, Lord, I said, please show me, because I think as Christians and people who come here all the time, we can get really distracted and we can get really blind to things that we're doing that Christ doesn't like. Um, we just can see other people's stuff real good, <laughs> but sometimes we can't see our own. So that was one of my biggest prayers during our fast was, Lord, show me the things that are hidden in the crevices of my heart that I don't see. Things that have been there so long that I feel like now they're kind of a part of me. Um, show me things in my life that I'm putting ahead of you, whether it's pleasures or enjoyment. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I really want a boat. I really want a boat. And I told Jared, I was like, if I don't have a boat by summer, I'm going to be kind of mad at you. <laughs> I, I need a boat. <laughs> but, you know, the Lord started dealing with me with that. Um, and he's like, do you need a boat? I was like, no, Lord, but I want a boat. You know, and he's like, but you don't need a boat. He's like, you know, you need to do what I've called you to do. You need to be available. You need to not get in debt because I need you to financially be able to do what I tell you to do. If I tell you to, to go to Africa, um, I need you to be able to go. I don't need you to be tied down. Do you know when we have, everybody has debt. I'm not saying that. I have, I, we have a house note. We have debt. But debt is like having another master. Because when you, when you get loans, when you feel like, I need to get this, I need to get that, let me get a car, let me get a boat, let me get a house, let me get this, let me get that, and you have all this debt, it ties you down to where you're no longer free to do what Christ tells you to do when he tells you to do it, because you're tied down. So we, as Christians, have got to quit saying we've got to have everything that the world has, because then we're not free to do what God has called us to do. So... The three statements that God told me out of all this, quit being unfaithful to me. Quit seeking everything else to find fulfillment when you can find it in me. It's not going to look like the world's fulfillment. It's not. Um, but once you find that freedom in Christ that only he can give, it's unlike anything you can ever experience. Um, I've prayed a lot for peace because... I, I used to be this person where I had to, like, have everything perfect. I constantly thought I went above and beyond. I spent hours and hours just planning and doing and planning and doing. And it was like, I, had, I'm, 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 I was a Martha. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing everything in the church because I was like, Lord, I'm serving you, I'm serving you. He's like, stop. I didn't call you to do any of that. I called you to be available for me. And when I need you to do something, you'll do it. But right now, half of that stuff you're doing is not what I asked you to do. I didn't ask you to plan and decorate and this and that. He said, everything you do, he said, look and see, are you touching people? Are you bringing people closer together to each other? And are you bringing people closer together to me? And I was like, so I talked to my pastor at the time. I was like, listen, I'll do anything you ask me to do, but if it's not doing one of those two things, I'm not going to do it. 
So when we came here, I told um, several of our leaders, I was like, if it doesn't have anything to do with God or bringing people closer together, we ain't, we ain't doing it. <laughs> we're not doing it. So in, I guess, the altar call, y'all can stand, and we're going to worship the Lord. Even if nobody comes down here, we're going to worship God because he deserves it. But if you have anything, anything in your life that you have been allowing to take the place ahead of God, I need you to come let it down and turn away from it. It ain't got to be something bad, and I'm not going to sit here and name it. And I'm going to even go to this far. If you are one of those people who no one's called out your sin or called out your need, get down here. We ain't got to pinpoint your exact thing. You know what God's dealing with you about. Just come down here. Give it to God. If you need prayer from me and Pastor Jerry, we'll pray for you. But it's about you and God. What is he dealing with you about? What is he saying, let this go? It's not worth it. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. When you stand before God and he says, why did you seek so hard after that when all you had to have was me? Why wasn't I enough? What are you going to say? What excuse are you going to give? I'm going to tell you that none going to be worth it. None of them. So we're going to worship. If you need to come, if you need to lay something down, you do it. And if not, like I said, you worship the Lord.